Welcome back to the podcast. Today's episode is about hormones. What are they? Why would you need them? And why did your mom tell you that they cause breast cancer? Well, as a surgeon that treats women with breast cancer, I'd like to set the record straight and show you the behind the scenes story about the most famous clinical trial that led to this controversial assumption. I'll also explain why hormone-related medical treatments may be helpful so you can take the evidence and form your own opinion. Stay tuned for our next episode called Hormones, Hurtful or Helpful? Why do I have this T-shaped uterus? Excellent question. The vagina is a powerful machine. A vagina is glorious. glorious. And it's entertaining and fun, too. Because I know what's inside of girls like you and like me. Now it's time for the physical examination. Let's go take a look at your Volvo. Well, that's when we take a new baby out of a lady's tummy. Your symptoms sound hormonal to me. I'd like a second opinion. This seems very questionable. I'm Dr. Kristen Rojas, and this is the Real Women's Health Podcast. So what do I mean when I say hormones? Hormones are substances that are floating around in your body, in your bloodstream, in your tissues, made by your adrenal glands, your brain, your ovaries, even your fat cells. And the most commonly talked about hormones are estrogen and progesterone. Estrogen and progesterone are actually very important for regulating normal menstrual periods. Every month, estrogen and progesterone fluctuate, and this produces either ovulation or menstruation. As women get closer to the age of menopause, which in the United States, the average age of menopause is 51 to 52, the levels of circulating estrogen, meaning the amount of estrogen floating around in their bloodstream that all of their organs and tissues see, starts to go down. And this can actually cause kind of like a drug withdrawal. So if your body's been used to having estrogen floating around and all of a sudden that estrogen starts to go away, you will get symptoms like hot flashes, vaginal dryness, mood changes, sweats, depression, you know, all of the symptoms that you would even feel if you were withdrawing from alcohol minus the seizures. So people don't realize, but when women are going through menopause, it's actually estrogen withdrawal. And that's what produces a lot of the awful symptoms that women feel. So when did we start giving estrogen back to women when they were experiencing menopausal symptoms? So it all started in the 30s when scientists actually isolated estrogen from human placentas. At first, estrogen was marketed as a way to treat dysmenorrhea or painful periods. In 1942, scientists actually isolated estrogen from pregnant mare's urine, so female horses. Ew, no, David. And it was approved by the FDA in 1942 to treat hot flashes associated with menopause. And by 1992, it was the number one prescription in the U.S. with sales exceeding $1 billion in 1997. In the 60s, Dr. Robert Wilson wrote this book called Feminine Forever. And he talked about if women took estrogen during menopause, that her breasts and genital organs would not shrivel. So, um... Of course, if you were a woman in the 60s reading this book, you would not want your breasts and your genitals to shrivel. And so he also talked about how women would be much more pleasant to live with and not dull and unattractive if they took hormones. Obviously, a lot of women were affected by this book and other articles that labeled menopause as a time when women kind of lost their femininity. And who wants to lose their femininity? When women started to take 
estrogen or the original form, which was Premarin, doctors also thought that it might even be cardioprotective, meaning it might decrease the risk of heart attacks. So when women go through menopause, their risk of heart attacks starts to increase at the rate similar to that of a man. And so after menopause, women are much more susceptible to heart attacks. Investigators found that women who were on hormones seemed to be getting less heart attacks. And so in the 80s and the 90s, there were several big studies that were published looking at menopausal women who took hormones. And these studies sought to look at outcomes like heart attacks to see if maybe giving women hormone replacement therapy would help prevent heart attacks. One of these big studies was called the Nurses Health Study, and it was actually a prospective cohort study, meaning it followed women into the future, 60,000 women who were nurses, following them through menopause. What the authors found was what looked like an increase in breast cancer rate in the women who were taking estrogen alone or estrogen with progesterone. So for all of you out there, the type of hormone replacement therapy that you're prescribed depends on whether or not you have a uterus. So if you still have your uterus, meaning you have not had a hysterectomy, you would need to take estrogen plus progesterone. And the progesterone keeps the endometrium, which is the lining of the uterus, from becoming too thick and maybe harboring precancerous cells. For women who've had a hysterectomy, so if they no longer have a uterus, they can actually take estrogen alone, which is a little bit easier. I'm not saying that women who want to take hormone replacement therapy should all run out and go have a hysterectomy so they only have to take estrogen, but this is the context with which we look at these studies is that some women got estrogen and some women got estrogen with a progesterone. So the investigators of this nurse's health study thought that they saw an increase in the risk of breast cancer in the women that were being followed. This study has actually come under a lot of criticism because the question isn't whether there was an increased incidence of breast cancer in these women, but women who maybe weren't going to the doctor and weren't getting regular checkups, now who are getting hormone replacement therapy, being followed prospectively by this study, getting their regular mammograms, seeing a doctor, obviously more breast cancers are going to be picked up. So the question is not, is hormone replacement therapy increasing the breast cancer rate, but are we just picking up more breast cancers? And this becomes a pretty big problem whenever we study breast cancer risk or the incidence of breast cancer related to a lot of risk factors. The results of the Nurses Health Study led to this massive undertaking called the Women's Health Initiative or the WHI study. It was designed after this public health service task force found that research disproportionately was focusing on white men. So this women's health initiative was actually designed to look specifically at women healthcare outcomes. It was the first randomized trial in healthy women, but women were older. So they were all supposed to be postmenopausal, but a lot of the women who were recruited into this study were actually 10, 15 years after menopause. So in their late 60s. This study was designed to look at the effect of nutrition and hormone replacement therapy on women's global health. So they called this global health index a parameter that included like cardiovascular disease, breast cancer, endometrial, and colon cancer. There were actually two trials within the WHI. The first trial looked at women without a uterus that were given estrogen alone, and they compared them to placebo, so women taking a pill that was nothing. The second trial looked at women who had a uterus who were given estrogen with progesterone, and they compared those women to those taking a placebo. 
So the trial was actually stopped early in 2002 because investigators found that what they were actually looking for with this study wasn't affected by hormones. So they were looking for a decreased risk of cardiac morbidity or heart attacks, but they didn't find that. So the study was stopped. But when some of the investigators went back and looked at the data, they saw that in some of the subgroups, there was an increase in breast cancer rates. And so that actually turned into this giant media storm where the media interpreted the study as being stopped early because so many women were being diagnosed with breast cancer. But that's actually not true. If you go back and dive into the data and take a close look at the actual increase in risk that the women had for breast cancer, you find that the results are not significant. When results of a study are not significant, it means that the results are possibly due to chance. So if results of a study are significant, we can confidently say that they're not due to chance. So the actual article that was published was written only by a few of the study executives and all of the lead research investigators, the majority of them actually were in the dark about the final manuscript that was going to be published. Some of them have even come out saying that they were given a draft of the article before it was published. They were given hours to submit edits and for any of you that have written a scientific article, you know that editing a paper like that can take days. The investigators were given this article to edit, but the article that was written by the study executives was actually already in print. And some of these investigators have come out saying that fear and sensationalism was actually prioritized after science, because if you look at the actual data, the findings that the media capitalized on weren't actually even the findings of the study. Since then, these ideas that hormones have increased the risk of breast cancer has been propagated in multiple different media outlets, multiple stories, and it's very pervasive and it's something that moms tell their daughters now. It's become such a big cultural aspect of women's healthcare now. So there were several problems with this big study that the media picked up. One of them was the way that the trial was designed. So critics of the paper said that the results of the study weren't adjusted to account for women's pre-existing medical conditions, other treatments beside their hormones, and in the placebo group, there was actually an unusually low rate of breast cancer incidence, and so this actually skewed the results in a certain way. When you actually look at the relative versus absolute risk of the increase in breast cancer incidence in these groups, what you find is in the absolute risk increase, there's eight additional cancers per 10,000 patient years. So even though when you look at relative risk and people try to quote these risks as being like an increase in 20%, the actual increase in number of cancers was eight per 10,000 patients per year. So several studies came after the Women's Health Initiative that looked at this breast cancer and hormone link, and one of them included the Danish Osteoporosis Prevention Trial, or the DOPS trial. They did not find a correlation between increased breast cancer and hormone use. Some of the studies that came out after the WHI trying to confirm the link between hormone replacement therapy and breast cancer actually would report these increased risks in breast cancer within the first one to two years after starting the treatment. And so as a breast cancer surgeon, I can tell you that every woman's breast cancer is different. But typically, we say for the most part that breast cancers take years to form. And so there's no way that a woman taking hormone replacement therapy for a year or two sprouts a new clinically apparent, meaning breast cancer that we can actually find on imaging or during her physical exam. It just doesn't make any sense with the way that tumor biology works and how we know breast cancers grow. 
So what is true about the WHI study? So they found that women taking estrogen alone did not have more breast cancer events than women taking placebo. So when you look at the adjusted risk or the risk factoring in pre-existing conditions, the group that took estrogen with progesterone did not have an increased risk of breast cancer when compared to the placebo group. The unadjusted risk, meaning when you don't take into account all of these other factors that could skew the results, they did show a slightly increased risk in the breast cancer rate in the patients taking both estrogen and progesterone. However, the only significant findings that they had from this study were that there's a decrease in fracture rate and potentially an increased risk in the venous thromboembolism or blood clots either in your legs or your lungs or maybe a stroke. It's common medical knowledge that when you give women who've been in menopause for more than 10 years estrogen, when their body hasn't been seeing estrogen floating around for more than 10 or 15 years, it increases the risk of them having a blood clot. This is actually in comparison to women who are slowly going through menopause. You start them on a low dose of estrogen. We don't typically see significantly increased risks of blood clots in those women. It's really more in women who've been menopausal for a significant amount of time who are then started on hormones. Furthermore, women who smoke or have other cardiovascular issues like high blood pressure or coronary artery disease have a significantly increased risk of having one of these complications. So what do we know about giving women estrogen who are going through menopause? We know that it helps prevent bone loss, and we know that it probably also maintains their cardiovascular health. So after the WHI was published, they actually did studies looking at women's bone health and cardiovascular health like as a population, and they found that there was increased mortality in women that they related to the decline in estrogen use between the year 2002 and 2011, which is the 10 years after the WHI data were published. So even though the media picked up these results and spun them as the pharmaceutical industry, you know, putting women at risk by making them want to be feminine but increasing their breast cancer risk, what actually happened was that there was an increase in mortality because less women were taking perimenopausal hormone replacement therapy. So hormone replacement therapy, whether a pill, a patch, or a cream, or local therapy, which we call vaginal estrogen, these different types of hormone replacement can actually have really beneficial effects on your health. And so it's important if you're feeling menopausal symptoms that you talk to your doctor to make sure that you don't have any contraindications to using any estrogen or progesterone-containing products. So women who have hot flashes, which can totally disrupt their entire lives, keeps them up at night, interferes with their job, interferes with their daily life, makes them completely miserable. The best treatment for hot flashes that you're experiencing as you go through menopause is systemic estrogen. That means estrogen that you take either by mouth or through a patch that's absorbed through your skin. When I'm treating patients who are having these menopausal symptoms, I actually like to start with a patch because the risk of blood clots that I told you guys about earlier is actually a little bit lower if you're able to give a patient a patch and not the pill. Furthermore, the patch is only once a week and it's much easier to remember than taking an additional medication. 
There are a bunch of different types of estrogen on the market. So talk to your gynecologist about the form that would be the best for you, the easiest to remember to take, and the lowest dose to treat your symptoms. One other important form of estrogen is vaginal estrogen. So patients who are either going through cancer treatment or experiencing early menopause or regular menopause at a regular age can experience vaginal dryness, painful sex. The best treatment for this is vaginal estrogen. So that's a cream that you place in the vagina or on the outside of the vagina that helps maintain the vagina's pH, prevents urinary tract infections, decreases the risk of yeast infections, maintains the stretchiness of the vagina so that sex isn't painful and overall promotes like vulvar health. Like do we need vaginal steaming and douching and all of these other products on the market that have absolutely no science? No. What you need is just to maintain your vaginal health with vaginal estrogen if you're experiencing those symptoms around the time of menopause. A lot of young women who receive different types of cancer treatment whose estrogen either temporarily or permanently is dropped pretty low also experience some of these symptoms and so they can really benefit from vaginal estrogen as well. Vaginal estrogen comes in a cream. It can be a suppository, like a little pellet that you place inside the vagina at night, and there's a bunch of different forms. Some patients can't receive vaginal estrogen because they have a history of maybe uterine cancer or another type of cancer that's sensitive to estrogen. So for these patients, there actually are non-hormonal alternatives to maintaining vaginal and vulvar health, and I'll address those more in a separate episode. But for now, to sum it up, even though hormone replacement therapy, meaning estrogen and progesterone that women take around the time of menopause to help with their quality of life symptoms, even though these hormones have gotten a bad rap, when you actually take a closer look at the data... The risk of breast cancer hasn't really been fleshed out, in my opinion. The data is not consistent, especially when we're looking at women who take estrogen alone. They even released a recent update to the WHI trial showing that women who took estrogen alone actually had a significantly decreased risk of breast cancer. So what this probably means is that women who are able to kind of maintain their estrogen levels through menopause to control these symptoms and the subsequent years after that with very, very low estrogen, by maintaining this steady state of estrogen, you might even be decreasing your risk of breast cancer. I know that this may sound completely crazy because a lot of breast cancers are actually sensitive to estrogen, meaning they have the estrogen receptor, but it's actually much more complicated than that. It's not just does having estrogen floating around your body increase your risk of breast cancer. What it means is when women have an estrogen sensitive breast cancer, what we can do is block these receptors in their body and that decreases the risk of it coming back. So even though we use estrogen blocking medication to keep breast cancer from coming back or to decrease the risk of it recurring, it doesn't necessarily mean that by having estrogen, you're increasing your risk of breast cancer. So it's important when we see articles like this and stories talking about all of the bad effects of hormones that we take a closer look at the evidence. Hormones do a lot of other really good things for our bodies, like maintain bone health, possibly prevent dementia, potentially maintain cardiovascular health, and these are all important aspects of our quality of life outside of just the symptoms associated with menopause. Lastly, it's important to keep in mind that some of these media stories that spin scientific articles can actually have a detrimental effect on a population's health. 
After the media picked up the results of the WHI trial and spun it so that women everywhere stopped taking their hormones, there was actually a large number of preventable deaths. So that's the T on women's health and hormone replacement therapy. To sum it up, there's several different types of hormone replacement therapy. There's different types of estrogens, different types of progesterones that you may or may not need depending on whether you still have your uterus. There's different ways to give it, either by a pill, by a patch, through the vagina. And so if you're experiencing any of these symptoms, talk to your gynecologist, have an educated discussion, shared decision-making, learn about whether you have any contraindications to any of these therapies and don't suffer in silence because the media has misinterpreted scientific journal articles. Thanks for joining me today on the Real Women's Health podcast where we tackle the tough topic of hormone replacement therapy and women's health, good or bad, breaking through the media sensationalism to get to the truth. Don't forget to like or rate the Real Women's Health podcast on any of your favorite podcatcher websites, including Apple Podcasts, Alexa TuneIn, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Podbean. For any questions or comments, you can email me at realwomenshealth at gmail.com. For more women's health-related information, you can follow me on Instagram or Twitter at Kristen Rojas, MD, K-R-I-S-T-I-N-R-O-J-A-S-M-D. As a reminder, all information, content, and material of this podcast is for informational purposes only. It's not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider. It's not intended to endorse or recommend any particular type of treatment. Should you, the listener, have any healthcare-related questions, promptly call or consult your own physician or healthcare provider. Until next time.